American dream, right? It's like you, you spend your life working for your retirement. Golly, what a lot of shit, man. I would tell young Lori to slow down and allow the season to do its work. Don't say healthy, don't say happy. Don't say well, and don't say normal. You show me one person on the planet who's healthy, happy, normal, and well. Who is that person? Is there something good that can be gained quickly? I don't know. They saw the silences move by and beckon. Saw the forms, the very beards of burly storms and heard them talk like sounding seas. They saw the snowy mountains rolled and heaved among the nameless lands like mighty billows, saw the gold of awful sunsets, saw the blush of sudden dawn, and felt the hush of heaven when the day sat down and hid his face in dusky hands. Walking Miller, man, that poem gets me. What's the name of the poem? I actually don't know. It's the epigraph to Roosevelt's book, The Wilderness Hunter, which I've been very much enjoying. Well, the poem's so good. And something about it elicits summertime to you. It makes you want to be in the wilderness. It makes you kind of wonder where nature's dusky hands are. It, It makes me go a little bit, what am I doing with my life? Because of the experience of wilderness, the emotional, soulful I know, engagement I know. with there's the wild this, like, this, depicted in that poem. There's a version of myself that I really like who who kind of walks slower and is more attuned to like the insect life on the sidewalk and who can like deliver this really restful reflection on the world around them like yeah isn't that just amazing like I was just listening to the birds this morning and I like I like that version of me I haven't met that version of me yet Um, and I kind of keep expecting to and I know that it doesn't just happen unless I'm cultivating that part but that poem and summertime on the horizon kind of bring that back to the forefront that it's this uh vision and expectation of a thing that may not actually come to pass unless I do something about it. Right. This is our annual and son's summertime roundup. Sometimes we have guests in the studio, other times not. This time not, just Sam and I here. But given the fact that most of the blossoms have fallen off our local apple and other flowering trees. It's time to talk about this season that we're coming into in a way that actually makes summer restful, enjoyable, adventurous, significant, rather than missing in sort of the infinite fade back and forth of the year, any of the transitions that could help us frame our life. Yeah, a lot of people enjoyed that episode you did last year that I was not a part of um, with you, JD, and Justin. And I think part of the conversation was just about this new season that as a culture we talk about a lot because it signifies all of these things 
that is summer. And you guys talked about what intention you were walking into, what things you were looking forward to, what what rhythms you were going to establish. And that's a good episode. You should go back and listen to it if you haven't recently. This is this year's, the annual rhythm. It's coming again. And I have visions of what I would like. And I found myself saying the other day to somebody that I want like a year, I want 12 months of summer right now because I want the time to do nothing. And I want the time in the mountains where I'm not working on projects. And then I do want the events I'm looking forward to, but I want like a month to do each one of those things. It's like, I want to do the family vacation, but where it just stretches in my experience. And it's again, like that same, that person that is myself. They're like, that doesn't, that's a posture. That's an intentionality thing. Like that can be an experience if I'm not falling backwards through the summer. And then all of a sudden it's fall and I'm asking myself what happened. And it's like the, uh, the city slickers monologue of, uh, getting older. Uh, I hate that Billy Crystal does. Oh I hate gosh. it too. And because to me, it all fast forwards just straight to monitoring how come the kids don't call. And like, I don't want that experience for summer. Right. And, it's a little bit more clearly defined than other seasons. Um, the season post-college, the season of early marriage, like those feel like times we have a similar conversation, but there's less obvious bookends. This is a really helpful one to practice in because it's three months. There's a bookend. If you didn't do it, you know, because the season changes. It makes me wonder, when you reflect on your own experience, which of your summers would you name as your favorite? Uh, it's hard. I don't, I don't know that an answer comes off the top of the head. Um, I think of the college summers because those take tend to be longer. Like we got like four months and um, maybe there was some work. Often there would be a month in the woods, if not more. There'd be like a family trip we would do it was enough time to shift into a different rhythm. And that's why that comes to mind first. Current summers in the adult working life feel more like trying to slip away in afternoons or weekends, whereas those college summers felt so long. I love the experience of waking up in the morning, hearing the birds, having no idea what day of the week it is. That's one of my favorite experiences because it means I have so let go of the calendar and the clock and the weekday setting my pace and I am just in a place and I love that. Um, but not one particularly comes to mind other than that. How, about, think, how about you? I think I would just read. I think I would just have a stack of books of varying obscurity and raid dad's cigar stash and kind of at an undefined point in the morning, start reading, get bored and walk around. Granted, like in many of those college summers, we managed to remain unemployed. Uh, <laughs> Not loosely. Which is an art in and of itself. But like memories are already affecting it as well, right? Like when we look back on it, it's these long days where we read, where we built those tree forts and it was awesome. And the actual experience of it that we, after a couple of days of nothingness, the ennui sets in and 
this happens faster for dad than for us, but we go up to the ranch as a family and it took him about, it felt like 30 minutes before he started working on a project. Like they're getting, getting us to work on a project with him. And that was the, that was, that was the problem. And, and really if he didn't, we, we started doing other things. We like, we, there was a need for some kind of structure, even in the structure of rest. Right. We were talking yesterday, and part of what convinced us that this conversation was necessary again was observing how often people adopt summertime practices that aren't actually grounded in an understanding of what makes the soul thrive. And we, looking at the summer and looking at our own summers, kind of went, man, there is a gap between the way I engage this season and seasonality and what I am discovering actually like makes me come alive. And so a few, you know, a few topics, maybe like a great first one is the really the interesting concept tension between feasting and fasting in the spiritual life. Yes, because this has to do with summer, maybe less obviously. Um, I think what's interesting is that we we kind of expect to have to wrestle with difficult things and difficult seasons, and thus that the the fasting, the fasting, you are acutely aware of the fact that there is not an abundance, that there is even deprivation that there's sometimes nothingness and that makes you aware of the minute, the hour, the morning, the week, the however long, if it's literal fasting or if it's just a season of scarcity, like you are, you're just in it and you are aware of the ways that forces you to grow and to wrestle with it and to be present. When it comes to the feasting side, like in my mind, I think of feasting, I think of abundance, I think of celebrating, I think of rest even. It's like the same rules somehow don't apply, obviously. They should. But I almost feel like rest can be not engaged and still have an effect. Like I expect to just have an abundance and have a, have a week off and be like, well, I, what did you do? Well, I just laid on the couch and I watched movies and I kind of expected that to be pouring into me. And you're like, wait, but when it's hard, you engage it intentionally and you know that that's required. But when it's easy, you don't do anything and you expect something from it. And this, yes. this rhythm of when you contrast the feasting and fasting, it's really a helpful tool because you kind of go, okay, these are clearly opposites. And they are requiring, they both require something. They both require you to step into it. Because if you're not actually engaging it, you're swimming against the current and it's going to be kind of a bummer. And and therefore you can't do it accidentally. You can't accidentally feast, though you can accidentally fast. Yeah, exactly. Part of what made me start thinking about this was realizing that I wasn't actually enjoying the feasting in my life very much. Everything from uh, like extremely concrete examples where we'd 
have friends over for dinner, good conversation, great food, good local beer. They'd eventually leave. And then that night as I was straightening the house, I would check in on my soul and go, did that do anything that is supposed to make a difference in me? And it's not. And why not? And I think it kind of drew my attention to uh, the interesting history of, especially as, you know, in the spiritual life, what happened to understanding feasting and fasting as this fundamental rhythm. And, you know, you and I were talking about it earlier this week where 16th century Protestant Reformation, how it's actually the Protestants who get rid of feasting, uh, which is, you know, (laughs) it's interesting because if I look at contemporary Christianity, I look at the Protestants as the ones who I consider play it fast and loose and go, oh, man, you know, they don't wear special clothes. They don't observe holidays. They don't really engage Lent. Like, the Protestants had to get feasting. And they go, no, no, no. They saw it as worldliness, gluttony. And then they, you know, introduced a contemporary form of Gnosticism where they just kind of went, no, no, you cannot. The spiritual life is not centered in the body functionally. And therefore, let's we're going to back way off things of this world. And then you move forward several hundred years and you eventually also get rid of fasting. And we find ourselves in a situation where I like look at these two rhythms, disciplines, practices, and don't really have any map to engage either one. Gnosticism, by the way, folks, is a heresy. Like it's not just an option of maybe not that not so great. It's like it's literally heretical to separate your body and your spirit and say that one of them doesn't matter. And so, yes, the pushback against gluttony is a good thing. But when you push back so hard that you say the physical world doesn't matter and your body needs to just be completely cut off, you've actually stumbled into heresy. Yeah. So just a little aside there. Good little aside. You always end up sort of like a point important denying the incarnation, denying the fact that your spiritual practices would be rooted in the experiences of your body. So, feasting, fasting. Uh, one of the things that I like have been realizing about stepping into a season that is a season of generosity and abundance, like summer, you have. Time, daylight, warmth. Uh, it's it's the season of gardens growing, plenty. there's harvest. Like, yep. It just looks like plenty. And uh, one of my realizations was, wow, unless I also engage rhythms of fasting, feasting is not going to do for my soul what it is meant to. Because when all you engage is, like say in quotes here, abundance, because it's not really, but when you engage the illusion of abundance all the time, you end up with the metaphysical boredom referred to as acedia. The sloth in the seven deadly sins is actually this thing, acedia, that is born out of everything is just kind of the same. Everything is pretty okay. And... 
eventually what your soul gravitates toward is stasis instead of the unpredictable life with God. Most people, when they talk about long summer days or the family vacation, will eventually talk about some kind of boredom or just kind of being like, man, I just kind of hit this period of ennui where I was enjoying myself, but I wasn't really anymore. And it's kind of hard. And I was like, oh, that for me has become a signpost of not uh, understanding or embracing the rhythms that are conducive to life. Yeah, the acedia thing is a huge piece, which we've, it's actually on our whiteboard to do a full on episode on it because does it sound like a culture that you are living in? It should. It's freaking everywhere. But that's a, that's a longer conversation for another time. High school me, the high school summer. Oh man. Like the summers of elementary school and grade school are the summer that lasts a year and you're not really responsible for anything. You're kind of being taken different places and sometimes it's to the pool and soccer practice and then the grandparents' house. And so, you know, it's fine. It's great. It's, it just sort of happens. Um, life shouldn't just sort of be happening to you anymore. And the high schooler experience is a lot of that boredom because you think like the best thing ever is sleeping in all day long and then playing video games and then seeing your friends and, and causing some trouble. I mean, you're causing trouble because you don't have anything else going on except for the high school friend that actually has a summer job and therefore feels a sense of satisfaction when they're off work. It's hard. There's the part of me that goes, the vacation that lasts a long time actually gives you space to disengage from the world, from the matrix, from the rhythms. And we do believe that because we're untrained in the ways that are required to disengage from your world to like actually rest. And therefore we need a long time to get out of them. If you go for just the weekend getaway, you probably still have cell service. You're probably still thinking about grocery shopping the next day. Like how present actually are you in that little getaway? That's a skill and you can build it so that the afternoon getaway can be immensely rewarding. But the person that can enjoy the afternoon getaway can also probably enjoy that in town, in their backyard, in the quiet, like that kind of caliber is going to have some spillover. The ennui, the the boredom, the the drifting through, like that person needs Six Flags or Disneyland to break up the monotony of the season that should be feasting, but really you're just kind of sitting at the table and the table's spread and your face is buried in a pie and you're not actually being satiated you're just (laughs) it's just a fire hose of nothingness i don't want that so i assume you don't want that right and summer is just beginning and so to avoid the person that says man i had all these hopes but then they didn't happen or i found myself with just kind of a lot of missed opportunities this summer we're trying to step in with a different posture right first pro tip in order to enjoy your summer Remember that the human soul thrives inside the structure that is alternating feasting, fasting, work, rest, play, and whatever the opposite of play would be. I didn't want to use work again. But it's just so interesting. I realize that I think 
that I can enjoy every single day in the same way. And so when I come into a day and go, you know what, I don't think I'm going to drink coffee today. And then I'll go, I'll immediately have this inner dialogue where I go, but my favorite kind of morning is the summer morning with the doors open so the air gets changed in the house and a cup of coffee. And I go, yes, but listen, vocable self, listen, Blaine, you are already surrendering to the illusion that you can, can like and are meant to one kind of morning over and over and over again. It won't work. And so some of the advice that we gave, that we give young guys in their summer is go, find feasting, fasting rhythms that work for you. Find work, play rhythms that work for you. One of them, and those can look really simple, we like take alcohol and just go ahead and look at a rhythm that actually lets you enjoy the wonderful thing that is a margarita on the back deck which often looks like picking days of the week that you don't drink even if your friends are. Not that there's anything wrong with going to the local brew pub with your brother slash buddy, but if you do it all the time, we can kind of guarantee you you'll end up in the region of acedia. The other one is, in the work one, I love telling guys who don't really have a manual job, make it a summer goal to build a biscuit-joined scrap wood table, meaning we're just talking about a scrap wood table that's going to be difficult and it's going to require mastering or at least learning, probably not mastering if you're me, a new skill in order to get it done. And this can look like how you're getting discovery and manual work into your summer rhythm can look very different. And... It will do wonderful things for the overall like experience of a season of abundance to do that kind of work. Yeah, it's funny to say that one of the first things we recommend is you have to intentionally introduce some fasting into the season that feels like feasting. Um, there's this part of me that pushes back and goes, hang on, we're talking about summer I thought your advice was going to be, here is the easiest way to make sure you can always go fly fishing after you work your shift. Like, how do I escape this mundane? How do I, how do I get the good? And that's, those are, fine. those are fair questions. But think of the scenario that Blaine just described of you're going to the local brew pub, but you go there every day after work and you get the same two beers that's great for like the first day and it's probably okay for the second day. But by day three, aren't you already bored? Aren't you already like, hang on, that scenario sounded kind of fun. And it sounded like, man, we get to do this all the time. Imagine that by day 10, you're like, do not serve me those two same beers again. I'm going to like throw a chair through a window. And so there's this part of you that knows I need the ebb and the flow. I need the rhythm. And in some areas, like with the Rupub, you actually do probably not have to do as much work to make sure it's there because, I mean, who's got time for that? Who's got the mind for that? I don't know. But the ways it's going to pop up in your world are going to be very different 
and probably not as obvious. You're like, oh man, what I really do want is every single day we're outside, we're doing this thing and you need to actually withdraw and change and do something else. And that's the project. That's the, um, for real joy, do you actually have to find ways that are probably initiation, probably some ways that are uncomfortable. That's the table. That's the, um, I don't know, some, there's going to be some project that us in the West and a fairly comfortable environment, it sucks. It has to be fabricated or maybe in your particular summer, there's going to be some hardship anyway. And so you don't need to fabricate it. You're very acutely aware of the fasting that's coming. And so your battle is going to be more of introducing the feasting side. But for those that think they don't need the fasting, that's kind of one of our first pushbacks. Point number two, we talk about this often. We talked about this last summer, but frame your season. Boom. Done. Where it kind of goes, yeah, summer, there is a seasonal shift. It's pretty artificial. I don't know that the soul actually moves in three-month seasons. That seems a little fast. Probably your year has a season. Probably like this group of years has a season, but you can definitely identify the unique character of your moment. What is your life about right now? Are you about to get married? Are you about to move states? Do you have a one-year-old? Do you have a 16-year-old who's about to drive? Like, What your season is about will help you prioritize inside your time. And, you know, like my season actually is not very different than last year. I don't know that it's any different from last year actually. And so a lot of the practices and priorities remain the same. Right. But rather than fighting that and trying to make it something it's not, there's a lot to be gained by naming it, embracing it. And then all of a sudden, if it doesn't look like it did three years ago, that's not a failure. That's actually okay. And you can (laughs) experience a lot more life in it if you've got some naming of the season. Totally. You know, I have one friend uh, who... For him, it's actually more intense work, and he's working on growing a business and has had to go, you know what, I am excited at summer and I'm going to need rhythms of Sabbath and play, but I am also in a year, and like putting boundaries on it, of a year of sewing into this business, and that is actually going to look like Uh, prioritizing slightly or maybe more than slightly more work than I would assume in the summer. One of the things that is helpful for me, and as we've had conversations with guys recently, posted recently, seems to be helpful, is understanding that two to three friendships is a good number of friendships uh, to prioritize. And knowing who those people are as you approach the summer and what your friendship needs will really help you take advantage of summer months and know what adventures to go on and which invitations to accept. Most people just have too many guys that want to go rock climbing, too many varied opportunities to go camping, too many barbecues to go to. like, And it kind of goes, that's awesome. I love that. And in order to like build these highly impactful friendships that end up changing your community, neighborhood, region, you actually have to go, you know what? 
I think it's those two guys. And so before I say yes to any other rock climbing venture, I'm going to make sure that we have some on the calendar with them so that the relationships that need to be prioritized are. Yeah, it's the relational version of jack of all trades, master of none. It's the friends with everyone, deep with no one, and you end up very much alone very quickly. Another one for the summer that sh- sounds obvious and and the practice isn't is that things don't just happen. So if there's a the dream of going backpacking, if there's a dream of friendships, if there's a, a dream for your yard, the small steps to get there are really, really good. And and we've talked about this in so many other podcasts of if you have a vision for where you want to be, that's super helpful. Thus the framing of the season. But then you're not just going to magically become the person that can go backpacking. Um, I think of a friend in town who is actively choosing some small exercises to do to prep for these backpacking trips because putting the time in there, doing some squats, doing like some walks will actually make the trip itself much more enjoyable rather than just assuming you can kind of saunter off into the woods one day and have a good trip. You're not going to have a good time. You're not going to go as far as you want. You're not going to get the solitude, the experience, the joy that is possible if you haven't put in some of that time. And so that applies from big things to little things. But it's that little steps right now in the summer are actually really okay. Like if it, it's all, as long as it has like a purpose, it's going to have some dignity. And so those little, those small walks you do around the neighborhood actually bring joy because of the anticipation of what they are for. And then you don't have this false expectation of one day I'm going to go climb that mountain. And you're like, well, what is one day? What does that mean? Why is this, is this future vision of yourself that you're not actually working towards that seems to come to a, a head in the summer because there's longer days and more availability? Yeah. Em and I like, we'll pick a night a week and we don't do this every week. So we'll pick a night, often a night a month for this kind of thing. We'll just go ahead and make the master list, whatever the category is. Really helpful with summer because our master lists tend to be huge. And it can look like, I want to hike a mountain. I want to camp with my buddies. I want to do this yard work project. I want to make sure I fish more. I want to hunt spring turkey. I want to be fit for the fall hunting season. I want to canoe a river. I want to see that town. I want to take that road trip we've talked about. And let it be huge because... I think most of us are surprised what our own expectations are when we explore them. Keep going, like, name it all. You'd like to be a bike commuter? You'd like to change jobs? You'd like to read a dozen novels? You'd like to write your own book of poetry? Get it out there. And then pick one or two. Economies of scale are effective. Just say, my ideal summer looks like... A teen movie. It has <laughs> a lot of so, song and dance numbers. <laughs> I just think of the number of transitions where there's a new clip every six seconds, and it's just kind of got boom, got boom, the rural boom, 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 fair, boom, boom, and then all of a sudden you're at the beach, and then all of a sudden you're yeah, yeah, oh totally, right. Well, Brene Brown has this piece on the unvoiced expectations that I'm just gonna yank. I mean, it's great. And she was expressing how that can be really problematic in couple dynamics, in group dynamics, when if you have a vision for a trip or 
an event or a weekend and you have not expressed that to the other person, there's just all this room for offense. There's all this room for feeling like they're thwarting you, that they have no idea that that's happening because they didn't know what your vision was. I'm going to take it a step further. And I think that that can happen just with you, just with yourself. If you haven't taken the time to name those expectations and dreams that are beneath the surface for any season, but particularly for this one for the summer, I think that can contribute to a sense of waste and, and loss and listlessness that can happen partway through and then much more towards the end where you go, oh, I didn't realize I had really wanted to spend more time doing this this summer and I'm only now admitting it to myself that the opportunity has passed. And so to stop and to write those down, you will find, as Blaine said, that that list might be quite long and that some of them, probably a lot of them, are either unrealistic or incompatible. And so then you have the opportunity to just choose a few because it's going to be a lot more life-giving and a lot more, you're going to see a lot more distance in those few, like with the friendships. Um, and even then, letting those things go will have a very different effect. Letting the things that don't fit go will feel differently if they've been named and brought to the surface than if they're just simmering disappointments for the next three months. It's huge. I listened to a recent interview with Neil Gaiman, the writer, and he was talking about writerly practices, but it applies to the self and summer where he said, it's easy to miss when we've changed and we can say, this is how I work. This is what I do without noticing. We don't do that anymore. And he was talking about how throughout his career, his best writing time has changed hugely and goes used to be evening. Then it was morning for a while. Now I kind of have to write in these. I, I notice upon evaluation that I write best in these daytime segments. And when I talk to, especially my male friends, it's amazing how often our almost late teen, early 20s summers still inform or still shape what we think we love in a summer without kind of taking the time to go, do I like that anymore? Oh man, I just love to get on the river more this summer and go, in what capacity do I still love whatever it is, fly fishing, that thing. Do I actually love having people over often? Just sort of that asking yourself questions about your expectations in a way that go, wow, I thought that road trips were, you know, the best part of my summer. I really don't want to do one, actually. What I would rather do, which kind of takes us into our last little piece here, is the value of design processes for seasons. And when I say design process, I mean what we would kind of go through on any campaign, any brand, any project. If you haven't heard the strategy episode with Anthony Ashley, it can look like that. And it's the questions you ask about a project in order to make sure you achieve what you meant to achieve. You describe the here. And you describe what your life is like right now, what you have available, how you are using your time. And then you sort of describe at the end of the summer, 
what would I what would I love it to look like? How would I like my soul to feel? And zoom out and go at the end of my 20s when I've had 10 summers. What kinds of experiences do I want to have that I will that I will very quickly be leading other guys into? And you know, we grew up we're the sons of a fly fisherman, which doesn't make you a good fly fisherman at all. It can actually make you a much worse fly fisherman than you think you are. But despite uh, regular set setbacks, I find that I still like it and that I would eventually, by the time I'm into my 30s, like to know enough to take a guy fly fishing and introduce him to how nice it is to spend a day with some tobacco on water. And that means prioritizing rivers over mountains in a way that ends up being significant over time. I feel like the strategy one is both obvious and unpracticed. I mean, you called it like the design process. It's that ha- have a vision, name it. What what is this summer about? What is what are priorities for you? Is it time with family at the local pool? Is it learning that craft and having the space to to actually dedicate to it? Is it the friendships? Is it the business? And this is true for every season and every year and every decade and every relationship and every job. Have a purpose for it. Have a reason. Have a strategy. Have have a goal for it. And it can be big. It can be small. It can be detailed. It can be sweeping. Like it's it's okay. But if you don't have anything, oh, the amount of conversations I've had with older men and women asking them about like why their life looks the way it does or how they work the job they work. They just sort of describe this accidental falling backwards into it process that is super unhelpful. And you're like, oh, great. So if I want to have a home and a yard and a role in the community that looks like this, I just sort of have to drift through aimlessly. Perfect. (laughs) That's not advice. That makes me like worried that you have figured out a few things that look good and, uh, I have no idea how you got there and probably aren't actually that fulfilling because you don't know why you're doing them still. And so for the summer and for the person you're becoming, have a goal and it can be small. It can be the fly fishing thing that feels both big and small at the same time. I want to be someone who knows the craft of the water. I want to explore the different waters nearby. I want to have conversations at the local fly shop that are really humbling because I wish I knew everything and I know nothing. I've been having conversations with my neighbors about my sprinklers. It's super boring, you guys. What happened? Sam of seven years ago will be really, really, really bored really with me. Really disappointed in you. But I have a yard with sprinklers that somebody else put in them, and my yard is dying in some areas and thriving in others, and they're not totally working. And I don't know. I don't know why it took this long, but finally this year I'm like, I'm just going to start asking. I, I, learning begins <laughs> with questions <laughs> and admitting I don't know anything. And it's been like very helpful actually to have a couple of conversations and the neighbors go like, well, you're actually going to have to just replace some of those. And let's see if, if it's a broken part or if it's just gummed up with dirt. I'm like, I, I wish I just knew that that was what you do, but I didn't. And now I do. And that's Okay. So here is what it could look like. At the end of my 20s, I would love to have a deep life with God. Oh, in that case, going, 
once a month, and I'm going to pick the days now so they don't end up being totally random or that they, and so that they don't get overrun, I'm going to do a day in the wilderness with Jesus. Whatever wilderness looks like, the point is lots of space for him to speak or not, for him to simply direct you into joy, like speak to you through the beauty of water or that taco shop that you love or whatever it might be. It might not be a serious conversation, but go, that would be you have some space coming up, liking a life with God. That is a wonderful thing. Go, uh, I'd like to be more in love than I am now. That one requires some significant evaluation into, wow, yeah, if you are in a relationship, what season your marriage is in or your dating relationship is in, a great thing to answer before you make summertime plans. And then to go, you know, I would like to have real manual skill and go, well, fortunately, things are going to break over the course of the summer. So you'll have sort of an organic opportunity to fix things. But you can also choose the one or two. Learn a single new tool. I finally have stopped borrowing a circular saw, which I've got gotten away with forever, simply because the good ones cost, uh, you know, 150 plus bucks. And I don't think you should buy bad tools. But go, wow, you know, learning one new tool this summer and a project that would teach you it, that would be a worthy goal. And then learning some rhythm of feasting and fasting, that would be plenty. Yeah. A couple of months from now, the rhythms you establish at the moment will feel much more natural than they will feel as you begin them. And so it's, it's, it's good. It just, it's going to be okay. And we, we hope that this episode is helpful in framing what is typically a season of expectation and a few ways of entering into it that will help you become a better human being. So you're welcome for that, but also help you avoid the disappointment and the, the ennui that can come from sort of accidentally entering into a season. 